Welcome to a very special episode of Live from AC Second. This is Chris Moore, and joining me in my office today is Nathan Gossett, Adam Johnson, and Sam Mulberry. I like that you said a very special episode because that makes me think of like a 1980s episode where we're going to deal with. There will be a life lesson at the end of this. Today we're going to learn not to do math. Yes. Uh, okay. Did, we're all going to learn. Did you need to learn that? <laughs> That's an important lesson. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, we're moving into the new world of cognitive enhancers, and if someone doesn't know that math is a bad cognitive enhancer, they might learn it from this episode. That's true. Um, Adam, you are in the psychology department. You are a neuroscientist. Are there um, cognitive enhancers that you would be comfortable taking, or do all of them carry uh, negative side effects? Well, uh, caffeine is a standard cognitive enhancer that I engage in quite regularly. (laughs) Um, My favorite mathematician, a fellow named Paul Erdős, spent the great majority of his life on speed. Really? He produced more uh, math than, well, pretty much anybody else. That's true. There's Mm -hmm. something called an Erdős number, which is how many degrees of separation are you in terms of publishing from Paul Erdős. Right. And the average Erdős number for mathematicians, Nathan, please correct me on this. I don't don't know it off the top of my head. 1.5 when he died. So So only one and a half people separate you from Paul Erdős as a a co-author. Yes, that's functionally what the professional set of mathematicians had on average. So he managed to get around and produce quite a bit of work. Okay, this is way off of what we were going to talk about, but now I'm super <laughs> curious. In uh, political science, we have sort of these you know, uh, publishing networks, and we, we, we grant people certain kinds of uh, a credit for in certain kinds of journals and because of their associations and their citation indexes. He's got to completely straight it up for mathematics, doesn't he? Well, he died a while ago, so it's kind of corrected itself since then. Okay. Yes, but he so like the Erdős bubble, basically yeah. moving yeah. through the system. It it has it has burst, but he has published a huge amount posthumously. Uh, part of the is, reason is he Tupac? What's he doing? <laughs> well, because he, he, what would happen was he'd show up on people's doorsteps, and this is one of the reasons that he's my hero. He'd show up on people's doorsteps and just decide like he was. Uh, a transient he didn't have his own home and so he would just move in with people and so these mathematicians (laughs) at one level loved working with them and their spouses hated it because he would ask them to do his laundry and so he would inevitably get kicked out before the work was done and so the paper would finish well after he left and so there were enough of those but uh, yeah he would show up on the doorstep and say my mind is open and that was his sort of signal to collaborate. This is sort of like the Cato Caitlin of mathematicians. <laughs> yeah, it's I'd amazing. like to know if anybody said, well, my mind isn't, and slammed the door on Right, you know that <laughs> happened, right? <laughs> so. That's amazing. Or maybe he forgot. Like, he already made the rounds once, and he forgot <laughs> that he'd been at Stanford, and so he just stopped back in. No! That's <laughs> <laughs> went badly last time. Well, this uh, this is fun. This is not why I've, why I've assembled uh, this team of Avengers today. Um We've got a uh, math and computer science professor here and a neuroscientist here because uh, we've had several different lunch conversations about the effects of social media on people. We often think about how people contribute to social media, but really how social media contributes to us. And so I wanted to pose a few questions to the two of you today to ask you about uh, in the wake of the, the November 2016 election and what has followed the, the rise of the first Twitter president, uh, what some of, the, some of our social media might be doing to us. So, 
to start with, you t- both of you tossed around a term that I was unprepared to deal with in the light of this conversation, and that's mind control. How would you equate mind control with what how we interact with social media? Adam, you want to start? Sure. So let's go to Twitter. We have, what, 140 characters that we can get exactly in? Exactly 140. And so if you think about the richness and fullness of what a human thought or feeling might be, we take that and we compress it into 140 characters, and then we can you know, send it out to a huge number of people. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that is lost in that process. Now, in our efforts to try to take everything that is being human and truncate it into that 140 sure. characters, we lose a lot. And so we have to ask a question of, well, what exactly do we want to accomplish with this? Mm-hmm. And so within, um, I guess you could consider it from an economics perspective. You can consider it from a computer science perspective. You could consider it from an evolutionary biology perspective. What is it that we want to optimize? What is Mm -hmm. it that we want to say, this is what's really valuable, this is what counts, and this is what gets lost? Um, There are going to be some things that we say, you know what, this really matters. This stuff can be chucked. Mm -hmm. And we have to make those decisions. And so you can do that by functionally assigning points. And this leads to a really interesting sort of thought of the gamification of social media and Twitter. How many likes you can get. Yes. Those are the points that you're trying to get. What you want to do is put down 140 characters in such a way that you can get a whole bunch of likes, retweets, what have you, followers. um, And that will make it so you now know what the rules of the game are and you will perform more actions that make it so that you feel good according to the rules of the game. Push this button and get a treat. And that's what it functionally breaks down to. And at a certain point, that richness of human communication suddenly turns into a game where you're pressing a couple of letters or levers Mm -hmm. uh, in order to get a treat, much like a rat. So does that mean that a lot of how Twitter, a lot of what happens on Twitter and how even the conversations on Twitter have evolved is a function of the structure of Twitter, the 140 characters, the, the ability to favorite or retweet, like th- those rules are what's actually governing people's behavior? I think so. And actually, I'd like some other input on this, but I think that a huge amount of what goes into Facebook's research Mm-hmm. is, in fact, trying to figure out how they can structure an interaction, the interaction that a user has with the software in order to make it so they'll spend a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. And so one of the original huge questions that Facebook uh, really had to address was likes, dislikes, both, one, mm-hmm. neither. Mm-hmm. And they settled on likes. And basically the reason is, Oh, that's a better association that works out from it. Meaning I might be inclined to shut down my Facebook uh, feed quicker if if someone disliked my status. Absolutely. What do I need this for? Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, so so far so good. I'm understanding now sort of the relationship between human motivations and reward systems, but that's nowhere close to mind control yet. 
where do we go from there? Well, let's take this leap. One of the big questions that we have to ask within economics is how do we allocate the resources that we wind up having? Mm -hmm. Um, Motivation basically tells us how to allocate those resources. And in most cases, we're not comfortable enough that we can immediately make a jump to, oh, I want to be able to go to Tahiti right now. I can go to Tahiti right now. Mm -hmm. Instead, what we wind up doing is we say, well, I need to earn money and I need to, you know, work a summer job and I need to do this and I need to do that. And when I do all of these things, I'll wind up earning enough money to go to Tahiti. Right. So we start off with a motivation to go to Tahiti, but... What winds up happening along the way is a lot of people forget about that end goal and that motivation transforms into, well, I just need to work hard all of the time. Mm. And going to Tahiti can get lost. And you might not consider that mind control, but the structure of the system, the fact that I can't do immediately what I want, um, does change the way that I think about the world and in some cases can cause me to forget about what was most important and why I started to work. Mm. And I wind up working really, really hard, and I feel guilty when I don't go up, go to work. And I actually feel so guilty that I cancel my trip to Tahiti so, so that I can make sure to, to show up. And it winds up working out to be something a little bit like that high schooler who gets the car so that they can get to their job so that they can earn enough money to pay off their car Mm -hmm. and they're working at a job so they can have a car so they can get to work and it's a sort of a circular phenomenon sure but this is the way that we can have a transformation of oh i'm motivated for this to a change that we subtly lose the purpose of our work Mm mm-hmm now, that makes a ton of sense to me when it comes to motivations for occupations, motivations for work ethic, but what I, what you and Nathan were talking about some weeks ago um, in one of our lunchtime conversations was how the influence of other voices into our social media lives affect how not only we, we how the information, the content we have about arguments, but also kind of how, um, how we even select information subsequently from that, uh, how we look for information. So, Nathan, before you before we started recording, you were telling me about uh, kind of the hot um, pro and anti-Trump Reddit. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I knew this was going to come up, and so I just took a really quick look at, you know, what are the top stories in uh, pro-Trump subreddits and what are top stories in anti-Trump subreddits. And So are they literally labeled that? Yeah. Just, sorry, I'm interrupting you um, here. But so the, pro, the main pro-Trump subreddit is the Donald Okay. Um, which is, of course, named after him. Sure. Um, there's a cup. I don't know if there's a main anti-Trump subreddit, um, but there's some of them explicitly mention Trump. Some of them just um, kind of get that way. You'll have to forgive me. I'm not a super familiar Reddit user. Can we tell how many people populate these forums? Uh, I think it's billions. Billions? For the whole site. Oh, for, for the whole site. Uh, okay. So for an individual subreddit, I would. Pro- it says on each subreddit how many people subscribe. Okay. Um, there's some question about how many of those are actual humans. Um, what do you mean? So it, it's possible to have uh, bot accounts that okay. are basically computer programs that are programmed to surf the website and um, vote or post in particular ways based on uh, what they see. Okay, so I'm not a computer uh, programmer. 
do they are, they are these are these programs be able to construct language or they're borrowing language from something else um well it depends on the bot um so different bots are set up to do, so uh, one of the really useful ones is the remind me bot and so mm. if you post the words remind me and then give a time frame and it's fairly good about interpreting what that time frame is mm-hmm. it'll send you a private message after that amount of time uh, reminding you that you wanted a reminder of something and mm-hmm. so i mean there's useful bots like that okay. um but then uh, there appear to be uh, other bots that are there to manipulate votes and appear uh, try and make things look more or less popular than they actually okay. might be naturally. Okay, that, make, that makes sense. So the, the the bot is doing sort of what Adam was talking about, liking something, af- giving affirmation, where we expect a human is doing that when, in fact, it's simply a, a mechanized system right. doing that. Okay, so what was showing up on the uh, pro and anti-Trump uh, Reddit feeds? Uh, they both. Well, okay. And by the time that this is airing, it's I'm sure going to be totally different because it sure. changes. Sure, this is just a little snapshot. Day. Yeah. Uh, so they they were both had stories about Colbert in common. Stephen Colbert, um, the yeah. So host. the pro-Trump people don't like Stephen Colbert, of course, uh, and the anti-Trump people do like Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there was, uh, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of overlap between what they were talking about. And so this is when we were talking about mind control. It's the stories that you see okay. will be different depending on where you decide to go looking for those stories. And so the anti-Trump stories, uh, I believe the top one was uh, a story about how the teachers' union is aiding pedophiles and in infiltrating our public schools. Okay. Uh, the anti-Trump top story was uh, stories about uh, trying to connect Jared Kushner to George Soros, which uh, I have no idea what that's that story actually is. I simply skimmed the headlines. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so there there were a different set of stories appearing on the different subreddits. Now, that is both of those stories are, really, are surprising to me. Uh, both for their inc- well, the first story is incredibly is is we let's suggest a, a vast conspiracy of uh, unconnected individuals, which would be pretty amazing mm-hmm. if the teachers' union was facilitating uh, pedophilia in public schools. And my guess is that both sets of headlines were very sensationalized. Yes. Um, so if we were to go and actually read the story or perhaps read the story that's being quoted by the story, my guess is by the time we traced it all the way down to its end, it's a nothing story. So much but, like much like Adam was saying that there is a... The rules of the of the machine, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or in this case Reddit, influence stories. Does Reddit push towards sensationalism? I think so, and it's pe- people in those subreddits want to see a particular type of story, mm. and whoever is willing to provide them with that type of story, that's what they want to see. I think it might be worth pointing out that in the midst of this, we could fail to make a distinction between. Reddit likes sensational stories, or we like sensational stories, mm-hmm. or maybe Reddit users like sensational stories. Um, one of the things that I find really fascinating is that no one will ever own up to buying National Enquirer's or any of those other magazines right. that they are sitting the at the... I think so, yeah. Well, Do you not go to grocery stores, Chris? They're still there. Apparently not I, I, at the I grocery store. I send my servant to buy my groceries. <laughs> okay. so, all right. So at the grocery store, you know, these things still exist, but of course no one will ever own up to buying one, right. and yet they persist, which suggests that someone is buying them mm-hmm. and uh, perpetuating you know, their this is service. A, this is a version of the, everyone says they don't care about the Kardashians, but clearly somebody somewhere cares about the Kardashians. Yes, mm-hmm. okay. exactly. And so there is this sort of desire for 
the sensationalized story. And mm-hmm. the sensationalized story works actually really, really well uh, psychologically. We don't remember a whole lot of specific data points. We tend to remember one gargantuan sensational story, and mm-hmm. then we try to use that in place of data. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I'm friends with Nathan Gossett. <laughs> he remembers all sorts of little finicky details and corrects me when I tend toward the sensational. Mm-hmm. So, you might, you might understand then that uh, a user of one of these social media sites, or a Reddit, someone who's browsing Reddit for news or in-depth information, is essentially surrounded by a cacophony of voices, some of which are human, some of which perhaps are automated voices, which are... Or, or working for specific marketing companies. For example, like, for example. Uh, so you can hire companies that will attempt to create a sensation on Reddit to promote your product or to promote a particular uh, viewpoint. How do, do you have any idea if Reddit, feel, how if they feel about this? Uh, they don't like it, uh, but it, it there are companies that uh, seem to be very good at uh, going undetected. Okay. I mean, people get called out as shills on a regular basis. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also some people that have uh, published stories that, I mean, I, again, I, I guess I can't totally verify it, but going through the process of hiring a company to promote a product just to see how easy it would be to do so. Right. And apparently it is fairly inexpensive to hire a company to start posting really positive things about your product on Reddit. Okay. Interesting. I wonder if, um, so I'm, I'm thinking about this as I'm watching Sam take a sip of his delicious Diet Mountain Dew. Diet Mountain Dew, quench your thirst. Um, I was wondering about, I, I, was, no, uh, I was wondering if perhaps there's a sophistication to this, to this kind of uh, shill or marketing on social media. Would it make sense instead of just having 10 people say, uh, write positive things about Diet Mountain Dew, instead to have nine people write positive things, one person to very badly and ineptly say something negative so that they could easily be shouted down. I think that is something that you wind up seeing quite frequently on uh, social media. Um, We can have sort of the parading of the sort of toothless lion of our Mm. enemy. We we draw uh, straw man. Straw man. Uh, Sock puppets are also a variation of that, where you have (laughs) you own two accounts Uh and you have an argument with yourself, (laughs) and you create a second persona who believes the opposite of you, but is very bad at arguing for that. Yep. And so, of course, you you the real you wins the argument because mm-hmm. you're arguing against someone who doesn't actually want to win. I'm fascinated by how much you know about all of this, Dr. Gossett. Have <laughs> you participated in each of these activities? I, I have never used a sock puppet account, no. Have you used a sock puppet? <laughs> all right. <laughs> This is, va- this, is, this is fascinating because, you know, a straw man is using an intellectual argument, but a sock puppet is conceivably, according to the rules of the system, an entity. Um, and it's a misrepresentation of a personage. That's fascinating. Um, and can- Mo- most uh, forums will have rules against that, but catching those people sure. can be a little tricky. Different IP address, different email account. Yeah, if, if they're careful. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is actually one of the core questions of online personas and online network social networking sites what is a person versus what is not a person Mm. the reduction of 
our communication down to these really distilled units makes it so that we can't express ourselves very clearly and very richly. It becomes much more simple to um, to imitate and to um, actually uh, create a robot or a machine mm -hmm. that will spew out similar sort of utterances that humans do. Yep. And... There are different levels that we can hide this, but it's sort of a variation on the Turing problem that if we wind up communicating with this screen and mm -hmm. there are characters spilling out of it, can we tell the difference between a robot or a human? Right. And it's interesting that we use this as the criteria for is there a true artificial intelligence? Um, we held that up as a pretty high standard, but if you think about the interactions that we wind up having on social media, our standards drop hugely because, well, people just aren't that smart. Or at least articulate. Certainly yeah. that. Is there a difference, Adam, uh, I'm on my Facebook feed? Facebook is a social media platform that I use a fair amount. I don't accept a friend request from anyone that I don't personally know outside of Facebook. So when I read someone's Facebook post, I'd say, oh, that's so-and-so from such-and-such such place. And I, I know that person and I may not understand exactly what they're talking about, especially if they, you know, they practice that habit of vague booking, you know, sort of the, you know, I just can't believe, I can't believe this is happening, quote. I, I don't know, what, I don't know what's happening. You know, that, that doesn't matter to me. Um, but uh, is there a difference between that and something like Reddit where there are handles, I don't know people, it's deliberately a, dis a distributed group of, of individuals who may not know each other, that I get a different psychological effect from it. Is it versus people that I know versus sort of a Greek chorus of individual voices? I think it's probably something a little bit in between. It's a little bit more like being on the street. Um, if you live on a busy street, you may wind up recognizing your neighbors because you mm -hmm. come into contact with them, even sure. though you know nothing really about them. You know their public face. And I think if you participate in certain Reddit forums, you wind up getting to know some of these users by their handle and by the mm -hmm. standard ways that they interact. Um, there are going to be some things that they respond to, just like, you know, you've got that neighbor at the end of the cul-de-sac who really gets upset anytime some kid goes tromping through their yard. And sure. so they get out there and you don't know anything more about this person than other than they run out the door and start yelling at the kids in the neighborhood. Right. Um, and so I think it's quite similar to that. Um, in the case of your neighbor, you can at least recognize them on site. Um, mm -hmm. And so you have some idea of what their face looks like. We don't have that opportunity in some of these other forums. But people can sort of travel in and out of these forums in much the way sort of a high uh, a high traffic neighborhood would have people coming and going. Fairly anonymously. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask that is because Nathan has previously mentioned something about how some of these Reddit forums, which are internally moderated, have incredibly high pressures to conformity. What, uh, the Donald, for example, the, the pro-Donald Trump uh, forum, you, you mentioned there were specific rules about... I don't, uh, I don't think that they have officially stated rules, but hmm. the, that subreddit is famously strict in terms of the moderation, okay. in that if you post something that the moderating team doesn't like, they will simply delete your post and probably ban you from posting in that subreddit. 
Okay. So you'd be able to read it, you but you would not be able to respond. Right. And so because of that, it uh, again, this is all alleged, but mm-hmm. uh, they, they've got a, a fairly well-established reputation at this point for that. Um, all of the posts end up agreeing with each other because anyone who doesn't agree with that is deleted and banned. So just so so I know, so you say the moderating team, is that the people who created that thread or what? The people who created that sub forum. Okay. And they they are not employed by Reddit. No. Yeah, so the the admins work for Reddit. The moderators do not. Gotcha. And what do they get out of this other than intellectual conformity? Uh, Power tripping? Uh, The moderators or the people who post that? So cognitive feedback. Positive cognitive feedback. Okay. And I think they also probably get a little bit of peace and respite. Mm -hmm. Uh, We live in a world where there is a cacophony of um, disagreements that we're constantly confronted by. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain level, it's actually rather comfortable to have everyone agree with you. And so if you feel very strongly that Donald Trump is a fantastic president. Um, Here's a place where you can go and you can hear nothing but support for that. Right. And, and, and support that's carefully uh, algorithmically aimed to, to resonate with me because if I walk, if I'm, you know, if I voted for Donald Trump the last election, but it was, uh, you know, I was leaning Trump. I wasn't a strong Trump supporter and I wander onto Reddit and I wander into the Donald forum. And what I see is not just pro Donald Trump, Message after pro Donald Trump message, but messages that are arranged in a way where the funniest, pop, most popular ones are hit me first, mm-hmm. and so uh, there's this very powerful induction, whether it's a pro Donald Trump or an anti Donald Trump Reddit forum, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, so it's uh, the Donald is an easy, really out there, uh, out in front subreddit to pick on, mm-hmm. uh, but I, like I said, there's there's marketing firms that are attempting to use this to influence products that people buy. Mm-hmm. So if I, uh, for instance, if I'm in the market for high quality socks, um, there Are is you there, in the market for high quality socks. I am socks? in the high market for high quality socks. <laughs> um, there is one brand of socks that is ridiculously over recommended by multiple subreddit forums. Can we try this? Do we, uh, so, I don't know if I'm, have I heard of it? Um, actually, I'm blanking any any brand of sock right now. So, look, okay. mom. Wigwam, foot to farm. Nope. Okay. Oh, and this is bad. I've actually, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It's a um, smart wool. I am currently wearing uh, good hue. Actually, if I had to look at. You know what, uh, Nathan? If you can't remember it, this is actually a good sign. Yeah. This is <laughs> I've blocked it out of my memory. It's a. So it it's shows a Vermont that your your mind's yeah. not being controlled right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's darn tough. Darn tough. Yeah. Okay. Um, Oof, that, that was too long of a reach there. But yeah, so like I said, I, 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 it's true. I happened to be in, I was dissatisfied with my current footwear <laughs> and decided to <laughs> check out what other sock options might be out there. Mm-hmm. And like every single thread, everyone loves this brand of sock. Can we and say it, that? It, yeah. I'm sorry, because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm yeah. not, I, I don't really use mm-hmm. stuff. Um, <laughs> Are there there's multiple threads about socks that you're jumping into, or or there there? When you say you, every single thread, what are you talking about? So every, I don't know why, but socks are commonly discussed on a bunch of subreddits that I would not expect to see socks discussed on, and it's this one brand of sock huh. 
that is always suck some kind right of code for something else. Or not that I, although that's so there are code. Um, so the subreddit trees is actually about marijuana, um, okay. and I believe that uh, the marijuana enthusiast subreddit is actually about trees. Um, so that, that there's there's inside jokes. You like mean that, like it's yeah. arborists? Yes. Good grief. Yeah. So. This is why we can't have nice things, guys. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so but I mean, so the so- like, and, and and for a little while, I was thinking, wow, these socks must be amazing. I need to get these socks. And then I looked to see how much those socks cost. I'm like, no, I I don't need those socks. But yeah, it, it was for for a little while. Like they they had me convinced. Everyone loves these socks. I got to get these socks. And yeah, I don't, I don't honestly, I I don't know how many of those people are real. I don't know. Maybe these are the most amazing socks in the world. Um, but the fact that there was this universal voice an agreement saying you need to get this specific brand of sock that they had they had me going it is interesting like i i i didn't i don't think about advertising in social media but but even things like like i i and i think we a lot of us do in terms of the media i consume like i don't watch things in real time which means i feel like i don't watch commercials but what i do like i listen to podcasts a lot mm-hmm. and i realize there are certain things there are certain products that I am over aware of because of, because they do, they, they like, advertise exclusively on podcasts, right? Right, and I can and but I hadn't thought about the power of that in something like the ability to sort of uh, are you, are you social media and things right like that. Yeah, that's interesting. It's strange to think about product placement in movies, and mm-hmm. that's one of those things that I look at. And, think it's completely absurd because i don't watch movies in real time and so the movies that i do wind up seeing it's oh there's a product that doesn't seem to exist anymore oh, that's in 1995 mm, that yeah. was product placement remember clear pepsi that mm-hmm. sort of thing oh we do actually as it turns <laughs> out <laughs> so uh i always felt like that was very strange but we live in a world of recommender systems and mm-hmm. all of us wind up invariably if we do any shopping online bumping into other customers also purchased this and if you think about it all our social media intake functionally is other people who you follow also thought this or liked this and so if you think about the way that these networks are constructed we're always sort of running down these little rabbit trails to find something new and find something different Um, one of the nice things about newspapers is that they show up on our front door or at least they used to and they would tell us about what the rest of the world was like Mm -hmm. now we have to sort of go out and find those stories for ourselves. Unless we systematize and, it with mm. RSS feeds, push notifications, other kinds of delivery devices, which are act similar to newspapers. Yeah. So, uh, so for, for instance, um, we, we have four uh, people who are supposedly really keeping up on the news. Um, how many countries are undergoing extreme riots right now? One, two... So three. we've got the political scientist who actually knows the answer to that. I don't, actually, I don't know if okay. I, yeah. I can think of three, but I don't know if I, how many I'm... Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I can think of three. Okay. I'm 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 I don't keep up on the news as much as you think. I don't I okay. don't I don't have an answer to this question. And so, depending on who you choose for your news source, you might be completely unaware that there's extreme riots going on in certain countries that you mm-hmm. wouldn't normally think of having extreme riots. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is the curatorial problem that we wind up facing 
And so we're curating a lot of our own facts. And the way that we're curating them is trying to um, actually walk down these social connections. And since I trust Chris, I'm probably going to trust one of his friends because I think, well, he's a, he's a political scientist. So he probably knows other people who are quite sophisticated in terms of political science. Mm-hmm. Little do I know that this is actually some kid from the youth group that he works with that uh, <laughs> is, you know, getting his facts from, I don't know, you know, August the hamster. But he and, knows the president. Yeah. yeah no, he knows <laughs> the president. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so what you've convinced me of so far is that um, someone who's a Trump supporter who engages in social media because of various algorithms and tastemaking, curatorship, is likely to become more and more of a Trump supporter, just like someone who's a Trump opponent is likely to become more and more of a Trump opponent. But... Can social media actually change people's minds? Did social media cause more people to vote for Donald Trump in the last election? Well, so this becomes a really interesting question, particularly with some of the um, allegations that have been made about tampering with the election. Um, If you're wondering, that spacer was actually the Russians fuzzing out our uh, our feet for a moment, but we're back. Or actually fuzzing out my brain while we were waiting. So, so, so yes, plenty of allegations that uh, of various kinds that Russia directly interfered in some way with the American election. So... What does that mean? Because what we what we think what we know for sure, or at least we think we know for sure, is that, uh, that it was not the actual vote tallies that were changed. That Russia did not change counting machine Diebold counting machines in Ohio. What what else are we talking about here? So I, I the the allegations uh, are mostly along the lines of there were certain sensationalized stories um, that were released at opportune times to either push a story that they didn't want out of the news because Mm -hmm. there's an even juicier story to focus on instead um, or to you know if there was a really beneficial story to Hillary Clinton then here's a a really juicy anti-Clinton story to focus on instead so this is Leon Panetta's emails yes yeah okay Um, and yeah the, the bizarre Pizzagate thing um, I, I don't remember exactly when that happened during the election cycle. It was in October. But, yeah. And, yeah, so some of it was just like – and, I mean, who could ignore a headline? Pizza, Pizzagate, yeah. if you're not familiar with this, was this a series of stories that did propagate on social media. Reddit, I believe. Yes. Uh, that alleged that Hillary Clinton and some close associates were running a child sex ring out of a pizza establishment in Washington, D.C. Yes. And, uh, I mean, who who could ignore a headline like that? Right. I mean, you... you Clearly yeah. not the man who actually showed up at the pizza place armed, who fired a gun in the pizza place, although thankfully not hurting anyone, uh, in an attempt to liberate said children from said pizza establishment. Yes. And so, and now all of a sudden we're talking about this ridiculous pizzeria story uh, instead of anything that would actually have been relevant to the presidential election. Right. Yeah. And so this is the sort of, well candy or crack that <laughs> sort of grabs I like, crack, our, I, like, I like the crack analogy let's go with that the 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 information seeking part of us and instead of sifting through the difficult information that an educator and an educated voter really should sift through before an election we're spending our time digging into something that is the equivalent of the national Enquirer or star 
uh, puff pieces that don't really mean much. Uh, so this is the way that distraction can happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily mind control in the large sense of uh, the phrase where I can tell someone what to think. Mm-hmm. But it's much more mind control in the way that a magician doesn't actually, you know, force people to believe one thing or another, but just modifies the environment in such a way that it's really easy to come to a conclusion that something happened that did not, in fact, happen. This is what illusionists of all stripes have been doing for a really long time. Look over here in my hand. I'm actually flipping the coin around my wrist. Exactly. And what we now have at our disposal is such powerful information networks Mm. and for news collection, and we have such weak curatorial abilities as individuals that we can very easily be misled by large networks of people with a good understanding of how um, media works. Mm-hmm. and if- Or perhaps not even people, but people-programmed machines. Exactly. And so if we know how the Facebook algorithms work um, or the Google algorithms work, and there's been a huge amount of work in advertising trying to work out, oh, what will make it so that our product pops up as the first thing on Google? That's, at this point, a really, really standard advertising approach. I want my Social media optimization. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a simple optimization problem. So taking standard algorithms and standard approaches to all of these sorts of things and then just aiming them at voter systems and news organizations, um, functionally, what we wind up getting is, well, a programming of the populace. This sounds... Incredibly pernicious, um, because some of the groups that we find the most difficult to for society for society are some of the ones that seem to be using this very effectively. Terror organizations, hate groups. These are some of my, my research interests. But also, it seems like for some of the reasons we've talked about today, some of the most pernicious elements of even more pedestrian types of groups are the ones that rise to the forefront because of the way that social media is propagated, because the most sensationalist, or the most scandalous, or the most uh, um, violent um, uh, stories rise to the fore. It's difficult to moderate that. Can we do the, uh, this, this version of this question often comes up in these conversations. Are we screwed? Um, are, are we are we tending towards a, a deep and pervasive mis, uh, misuse of information in social media, or can anything be done to ameliorate this? This is a huge question that um, Facebook is really beginning to address. Um, we're seeing it in sort of the most obvious situations. Um, we've seen it with a lot of streaming of massively inappropriate information, um, particularly videos of assaults of all stripes, and I won't go into those details, but there's this sort of huge question of, what do we do with people who stream um, video of illegal activities? A violent high school fight, for example. Yes, and um, what do we do with people who watch it? Um, So uh, in the same time, in the same way that we talk about uh, prostitution, and the original laws uh, were aimed at 
women who had been prostituted and we're going to, you know, throw them in prison. Uh, now what we're starting to understand is that it's actually the market that is created quite frequently by men. To punish that, the Johns. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need to punish the Johns who are um, going out and looking for women who have been prostituted and often children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we need to address. And right now, functionally, we have these massive tools that we've developed for getting a huge amount of information out to people, but we don't really understand the the consequences mm-hmm. of getting that information out to people. Um, it's a little bit like saying, oh, you know what, we're just going to add this chemical to the water um, and we are going to put it everywhere all at once without ever checking to see that it's safe. And um, it's kind of the wild west of the electronic frontier right now. Do we I, have a, oh, go ahead, I thought first. there was going to be a precious bodily fluids joke thrown in there somewhere. Sorry. <laughs> are we... Oh, good grief. Are we... Uh, um, can we get out of the Wild West? Because, because, I, because we eventually settled the Wild West. Can we settle the electronic environment? I think we can, but it's going to be a really, really difficult process. It's going to take um, a lot of research on how we actually interact with uh, information as humans. And I think this is actually the crux of the fight. At this point, um, you have organizations that are primarily driven by business people and by computer programmers who are saying, well, we're putting together products that, mm-hmm. you know, they, of course, can be um, used badly. Um, and, you know, in the same way that gun manufacturers put together products that can be used terribly. But it's not our responsibility to ensure that every single person is perfectly safe with what we're going to provide. There needs to be some maturity on the user's end of the spectrum. And so right now, you know, we have laws for the way that people can access different chemicals and different different guns and uh, firearms. Um, So we have some understanding of how people behave with these sorts of things and who are the safe people. At this point, we have parental controls, and every kid, I think, understands how to click past the, oh, <laughs> I'm 18, of course, click, mm-hmm. click, click. And all of us, you know, glide past user agreements without reading the huge amount of fine print, but we don't do anything more than that. So these companies are obeying the letter of the law, right. which is what they get to do, uh, but they also don't understand what their end user really is. And there's a big question of what responsibility do they have to their end user. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where we wind up seeing it. The Wild West was, you know, territory that, um, you know, was, it was hard area and people who went there uh, often went because there weren't any laws and there they could get away from what it was that they were dealing with and the, um, previously and they could do what they wanted and we've got a lot of people who are doing some the same sort of stuff on reddit and you have some pretty scary stuff that's going on and then you've got other people who are really interested in using these new technologies and settling these technologies for very good ends um and so this is a mature a maturation process. 
I do think, speaking as a political scientist here, that there is no any there's no political will right now to litigate the social media environment. Uh, I can't think whether it's on the left or the right. Anybody who wants to wade into trying to settle the wild west of, of social media, Facebook and other major platforms are trying to take baby steps towards helping people recognize fake news or helping people understand uh, what social media, what the effects of social media are. But this is a this is a psychological problem combined with a political problem. I don't think the will is there to provide a political solution, and I don't know that we're well equipped to provide our own psychological solutions, at least at this point. I'd agree with that. I think that we have um, theories of what people are that don't match up with what people actually are. We like to think that we're a whole lot more free than we are, and we think that we're... Um, a whole lot less free than we are. And mm. once we start to sort out what that actually means, I think we'll be able to figure out what to do next. Well, gents, we need to wrap. But before we do, um, do you have any specific pieces of advice for anybody who might be listening about their social media consumption? Uh, this could be real simple. It could be as simple as... Uh, websites you might recommend for verification of things, um, specific platforms that you find particularly useful. Is there any place you want to direct people? Snopes. So tell me about Snopes, <laughs> because Snopes actually became a political football in this last election yeah. for the first time. Um, so to the extent that uh, debunk the urban legend debunking websites uh, can be trusted, I think Snopes is probably still on, on the right side of that equation. Okay. Um, so it's a privately run website. Uh, I think it was run by essentially a husband and wife team. So a very, very small team of people attempting to just track down, okay, this is something that's buzzing on social media. Did this actually happen or was this made up? Um, so, yeah. The, so this, in this case, their credibility rests deeply on their own brand loyalty. Yes. So if, if Snopes were to ever claim that something was real and it turned out to be fake and or claimed something was fake and it turned out to be real, I think that would destroy their brand. Yep, absolutely. And very quickly. Mm-hmm. So the, And, I mean, they, they play it safe on a lot of stuff and just say, we don't know. Mm-hmm. So if they can't find evidence one way or another, they'll just label it as unverified. Find the source. Okay. Do Most, the hard work of homework? Yeah. Follow the links. If... You know, it's easy to click on one link and say, oh, this is what they said. But most stories wind up citing other stories. And instead of getting wrapped up in the, oh, he said that he said that he said that he said, Mm -hmm. follow those links all the way back. And if you're using a website that is talking much more about what was said about the story rather than the story itself, um, might not actually be... Um, a good place to look. Um, so the bigger the distance between the original story and um, or the original uh, situation and the story, uh, the more opportunity there is for bending and twisting and mm-hmm. just losing all sorts of It's pieces. a longer game of telephone. Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, we saw it, so right before we started recording, I uh, misrepresented an article to Chris based on my brief reading of the headline where I oh, sure. missed. Uh, and, I mean, the headline might have been written in a way to cause me to, to hope that I misinterpreted it, and I sure did. 
because I didn't bother actually clicking on it to see what the story said. Hmm. So, yep. Sam, are you uh, you know it's not on social media nearly as much as I am. No, no, I, you know I I think um, the the thing that I would pull out of what Adam said there too was uh, take your time with stuff that that yeah. that that, that um, we don't need instant reactions to things, and that that is sometimes part of the reason why we why we don't do some of that digging is because it takes time because sometimes we feel like we need to react to something quickly. I mean, qu- quite frankly, like I said, I'm actually learning about stuff because I don't, I, I don't use, um, I mean, I have a Facebook account. I can't remember. It's, it's been years since I've posted anything. I don't You're really, missing all my birthday messages, man. I am, I guess. Um, I, but I don't really look at it. I have a Twitter account and have never, have never, um, posted anything and ever tweeted i like to i like to have it on during sporting events because it's sometimes fun for the people that i follow i like to like watch the sporting event with them but that's about how i use twitter sure um i i I, I really my world is a lot smaller and i don't know if that's (laughs) good but the problem is i don't know if that's good advice like because that means i'm disconnected from things um but i mean i i'm somebody who walks to work like i have a very small world that I that uh, um, it's very easy for me, and that's a problem too to inhabit that small world. But it also means I don't fall into some of these other, or maybe I'm not aware of where I'm falling into some of these other traps, um, because it's not something that uh, I end up encountering too much, other than like way too many Blue Apron ads, I guess. So. <laughs> Sherry's berries. That's right. Me undies. All right, um, we're, we're only dropping these because we're hoping to pick up this podcast as a sponsor. <laughs> but let me just say this, I. I like the idea of the mantra of um, strong opinions loosely held. Um, be willing to ask at the end of absorbing new information, what would it be like for this to be wrong? What would it be like for me to be for this to be to this to be proven? And one of my graduate school um, instructors was a psychologist named Phil Tetlock, and Tetlock talked a lot about debiasing and how we convince ourselves to think twice about things. And that simple act of just pausing for once, saying, "What would it be like for this to be wrong?" Um, can go can do a world of good for uh, for debiasing us against motivated reasoning of just looking for the things we want to see, uh, ignoring the things we don't want to see. Um, it's a useful habit, gentlemen. Thanks. This is fun. Thank you. Let's go out on the internet and spread some rumors. All right. No, wait, that's wrong. All right. On behalf of my friends and colleagues here at Bethel University, this has been Chris Moore saying you've been listening to a special episode of Life from AC Second. Go Royals. <laughs>